The transportation infrastructure of the United States has got to get rebuilt, but where are we going to get the money to do that? Distracted driving is a major problem, but people don't want to give up their cell phones in cars. And while everyone's in favor of higher fuel economy standards, are consumers really going to pay the extra money for the technology needed to hit that number? Well, those are some of the topics we'll get into today because my special guest on AutoLine this week is Ray LaHood, the Secretary of the United States Department of Transportation. Mr. Secretary, John McElroy. How are you, John? I'm doing good terrific. To see you. Yeah, good seeing you as well. Thank you. Thank you for doing this Thank with you us. For yeah. Doing this. There's many different things that we could dive into here, but I know one of the hottest topics that's been going on is driver distraction. Sure. And, and you've been very outspoken about this. But where do you think this is all going? Because clearly there's a need to reduce driver distraction, and yet people don't want to give up their phones and other digital devices in their cars. How do we come to some sort of balance here that works? Well, I think people have to really realize that you can't drive a car safely if you have a cell phone up to your ear. And you certainly can't drive safely if you're looking down at a texting device. If you're looking down for four seconds at your texting device, the car goes uh, the length of a football field. So when we started this campaign three years ago, only eight states had passed laws. Today, 34 states plus the District of Columbia have passed laws. So we're making some progress. We need our friends in law enforcement to help us write tickets when they see people with cell phones in communities where they have laws. But more important than anything, we need to have people take personal responsibility. When you get in the car, put both hands on the wheel, both eyes on the road, and put the texting device or cell phone in the glove compartment. Personal responsibility will go a long way to saving lives and saving injuries. Which of course could be said for so many other things of in course. life too. But there's been talk of banning cell phone use altogether, even hands-free. I, I, if I remember right, you don't believe that's really going to happen. Well, I think what people should do is first of all take personal responsibility. I think number two, uh, if police have opportunities, to change people's behavior by writing tickets if they are using a cell phone and there are laws in those communities that they do write tickets. I think that uh, we need to continue to emphasize to people that uh, you can't drive safely uh, with a cell phone or a texting device. And uh, so uh, we need to drive safely with a hands-free phone. Well, we're doing some studies on that right now. We don't know the answer. We don't know if there's a real cognitive distraction from the use of a Bluetooth or sync or, you know, listening to the radio or whatever, or listening to somebody sitting next to you. The value that we have or the studies we do and basing what we do on good data, and we're doing some studies now on the cognitive uh, problems that may occur from hands-free uh, devices, whether they be texting devices, whether they be cellular devices, whether they be GPS or radio or whatever. Of course, if you have people sitting in the front seat or even the back seat, talking to them could be the same sort of distraction, well, look, no, we, as a hands-free yeah, we, phone? We, we know it's a distraction, but we know that people really do, when they're on a phone, they're real intense about it, they are paying a lot more attention to maybe than When somebody's sitting next to you, talking, you can have both hands on the wheel mm -hmm. and you can have both eyes on the road. Mm -hmm. That's not the case when you got a cell phone up to your ear. Right, when you're, when you're cradling a phone, I, I agree. Right. Aren't there things that could be done in the automobile itself? So that if I'm sitting in the front seat and I see the driver's got to make a sharp turn or jam on the brakes, I shut up. 
isn't there some things that we could be doing that would send a signal through the phone so that somebody on the other line would go, whoop, I got to shut up here, or maybe even just cut off the call, the, the call temporarily until it's safe to talk again? You know, there are technologies uh, that have come out recently uh, through the cell phone industry uh, that does inhibit the use of a cell phone. Some people believe, though, that that could be a problem if there is an emergency and you do need to stop and pull over and use that cell phone to call law enforcement or to do something else, your phone would be disabled. And so uh, we're really talking more in terms of personal responsibility and just, just not using them. At all, even if they're hands-free. Well. The real epidemic is, is that everybody has a cell phone or a texting device and they think they can use them anytime, anyplace, anywhere. The hands-free part we'll get to when we finish our studies. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, so many different things to talk about here, so I'll jump around a little bit. Uh, the new corporate average fuel economy standard, 54.5 miles per gallon, uh, really is pushing the industry to get into much smaller cars, hybrids, electric vehicles and the like. Um, but the NADA, the National Auto Dealers Association, is going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is going to increase the price of these cars, and they see a problem with it. How, how would you address the dealers' concerns? I think that the fact that we had the auto companies, both foreign and domestic, at the table, we worked with them on these standards. So we worked with them on the 2012 standard, we worked with them on the 2016 standard, and, and we worked with them on the 2025 standard. And um, I think the fact that they were at the table, they had a say, they could you know, really participate, uh, made them feel like they could show up when the president announced the 2025 standard, when the president announced 54.5 miles per gallon by 2025. Almost every car manufacturer, both foreign and domestic, was at that announcement. They like the idea of knowing what the standard will be. They like the idea of knowing what size car they will have to build in order to meet those standards. And I think the kind of collaboration that took place was very helpful. Well, that's the, the manufacturers you're talking about who have to design and engineer and build these cars. But what about the retailers who have actually got to sell them? Well, when you look at the cars that are being sold today, they're the more, the more fuel-efficient cars. People are not buying gas guzzers anymore. People are looking for hybrids. Uh, they're looking for electric. They're looking for battery-powered. They're looking for more fuel-efficient cars. I would think the idea of having a, 54, a car that gets 54.5 miles per gallon would, would be good news to those that are selling cars particularly when their customers want more fuel-efficient cars. Well, everybody wants better fuel efficiency, but when you look at the sales of hybrids, as you well know, they comprise a little over 2% of the market. And this is after a dozen years of having them with some 30 different models of all different shapes and sizes and prices. Does it concern you that hybrids are not selling better when really it's predicated uh, on their sales being good to hit that 54.5 mile per gallon standard. Well look at gasoline prices are not going to go down they're only going to go up people are always going to in years to come are always going to be looking for more fuel efficient cars and I think uh, by 2025 uh, you're going to see gasoline prices much higher than they are today and people looking for cars that get good fuel efficiency. Well, I hope you're right, but as you know, even the president talked about this uh, recently in that 
oil production in the United States is going up, natural gas production has gone through the roof, as you well know. What if it turns out gasoline prices or oil prices are not that much higher than they are right now a decade John, I don't think anybody uh, will believe that gasoline prices are going to go down. Uh, Not when they're over $3 a gallon right now. But what if they just hold steady as to where they are? They haven't held steady. They continue to go up. And say there's a crisis in the Middle East. Say there's a crisis in a country where we buy a lot of crude oil. What happens? Oil, our gasoline prices go up. Well, skyrocket. And and, And we know what's happening in the Middle East. We know about the Arab Spring. We know that there's changes in just about every government in the Middle East. Uh, something could happen overnight, boom, prices will go up. So we gotta be ready is what you're saying. We, of course we have to be ready and I think people do want more fuel efficient cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, if electric vehicles do catch on, and I say that I, I'm a proponent but I'm a skeptic that they really will sell in big numbers, we're going to have less road taxes. You know, if they don't use gasoline, we don't have gas tax. We have a problem with an infrastructure. We can get into more of that, too. But how do you deal with this as we have certainly vehicles? Well, we know that the, the highway trust fund has been diminished over the years by more fuel-efficient cars and by people driving less. And I think the point that you make is that if we get more fuel-efficient cars, do we continue to diminish our ability to have a pot of money to fix up roads and fix potholes and fix up bridges. And that's something that uh, elected officials and legislators and people that have to write transportation bills really have to factor into how do they pay for them. Any ideas, any suggestions? Well, I'm I'm not elected to anything anymore. I don't serve in Congress anymore and I'll leave it to those people that do get elected uh, to make these, these are tough choices, but they are gonna have to deal with a diminishing amount of resources that, that are available to do the things that, where we built the interstate system, where we built a lot of bridges, uh, and that pot of money has been diminished. And yet we really need to renew all those bridges and roads, and uh, I don't know is that we need to build anymore, but we have to rebuild what we've got. Uh, any ideas where we might get the money for that? Well, there's a lot of ideas floating around, and I think as bills are introduced into Congress, as Congress considers a surface transportation bill, I believe that uh, there'll be a big, big debate. The president has put out the idea of taking half the money that was used in Iraq, in the war in Iraq, and using it for infrastructure, using the other half, the other 50% for deficit reduction. And uh, so the president's put out an idea, and I'm sure legislators will too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, jumping around, excuse me for doing so. So many topics to talk about. Autonomous cars, autonomous technology, i.e. self-driving cars. Some people call them robotic cars or whatnot. The technology seems to be coming far faster than anybody anticipated. Uh, What's your outlook on this technology? Do you anticipate the need for rules and regulations on it? Well, the way that this really works is as new technology comes out, as the so-called Google car comes into its own, as the so-called some of these other technologies come into their own, they'll have to come to our safety agency and we'll have to review the technology, review the safety aspects of it and make a judgment about that. Uh, We're not there yet, Uh, they're not there yet, but as you say, it's coming pretty fast. Have you had a chance to, to go in the Google car or any of the other? Yeah, what, the what do Google, you think? Uh, the Google car showed up uh, at DOT, 
Uh, we had a chance to ride in it. It's a very, it's very innovative. It's very creative. Obviously, it's a lot different than any of the vehicles that we're sitting around here today. But uh, we have to really give uh, a lot of credit to people who are thinking outside the box about the next generation of automobiles. Do you like the technology? I mean, it's. To me, it's very unnerving to drive the car when the car is driving itself, uh -huh. but you can get used to it fairly quickly, I think. What, what was your reaction to uh, it? My reaction is, is that there's a lot of smart people out there who are going to take car manufacturing to the next generation, and we'll see where it takes us. The and, people will really decide right. you know, how they feel about these things. We've seen a massive reduction in traffic fatalities, still at an unacceptably high level, but we've seen a huge drop off. What do you attribute it to? I think some of our campaigns, click it or ticket, now 86% of the people, the first thing they do when they get in the car is buckle up. I think .08, mothers against drunk driving, law enforcement, taking drunk drivers off the road, good laws, not giving people a pat on the back anymore when they've had too much to drink, you lose your driving privileges. I think continuing to talk about uh, putting kids in safety seats. Uh, now every child gets in a safety seat when they get in, a, in, in an automobile. Uh, the kind of safety technology that's been put into automobiles today, so the technology that where if a car comes up too close to you, uh, you, can, you can see them. Uh, they, they have devices in the rearview mirrors and uh, that show uh, again, if somebody's coming too close, uh, uh, devices, technology in, in the windshields that show if you're getting too close. I think all of these technologies that car manufacturers are putting in cars uh, have gone a long way to uh, really providing the kind of safety technology that has led to the decrease in injuries uh, in automobiles. Do you think a lot of it's got to do with the recession? I know in times past, whenever there's a recession, we see people drive less, fat, fatalities mm -hmm. go down, and then they come back up when the economy returns. Maybe not to the prior level, but mm -hmm. come back up. Are you concerned about that happening? I would attribute uh, the decrease to people being much more aware of driving safe, of good safety technology in cars, uh, of people uh, following the rules and regulations that exist like click it or ticket, like making sure that they don't drink too much and drive. Uh, I really think those are the things that have decreased. Uh, a lot of public service messages, um, good, good driver training programs but, for but young it, people, you know, I mean, graduated driver's license that, that helps programs. a lot too. But as you know, we, we just saw the fatalities drop off a cliff. I've never ever seen this in the history of all the data that I think it was circa 2008, 2009, all of a sudden, bam, it yeah. just dropped big time. And that's why I'm thinking something big triggered it. It wasn't a, a collection of things. I'm wondering if not the recession, could it be stability control, which you know keeps, I, look, keeps yeah, the shiny I mean, side up in yeah, an accident? I think, I think it's a lot of technology. I think it's a lot of awareness. I think it's uh, much better uh, education and training. I think people paying attention. Uh, good laws, good enforcement. It's a combination of a lot of things, really. Let's talk a little bit more policy. We've got uh, different agencies setting different regulations for the auto industry. And they, they do it, I'm not going to say willy-nilly, but they, they don't do it in concert with one another. So, for example, moves to improve fuel efficiency can actually hurt safety. 
if, if you lightweight or downsize a car, it can affect the safety of a car. If you add structure to make a car safer, it makes it heavier, hence less fuel efficient, put out more emissions. And these rules and regulations just come at the industry from different agencies. Any thought ever given to trying to coordinate these things? Well, I do think there is a lot of coordination through NHTSA, our safety agency. Uh, we coordinate with the car companies. We coordinate with safety uh, professionals and safety technicians. And, and uh, I think there's a heck of a lot of coordination that goes on. And particularly when you see the kind of technology that's in almost every one of these cars today, it really comes about as coordination with our people, our professional people, and the engineers at the automobile companies. Uh, as they begin to test these out, I've, I've actually gone to test tracks and, and uh, driven cars with these kind of new safety technologies in them. Uh, so I think it's a combination of very good coordination between the industry, between our safety agency. Look, at every car manufacturer wants this five-star rating. That's what we deliver when, when we work with people and we get it right when it comes to safety. I'll give you one example uh, that I've been focusing on is a uh, roof crush standard that just came in in the last year or so. Right. Now we've got A-pillars on car, you know, on each side of the windshield right. that are blocking more of your view. And to meet the roof crush safety standard, many cars are using hot stamped boron steel that the jaws of life can't cut through or you have to go out and buy new jaws of yeah. life to be able to do that. And maybe that's what I'm getting at, is we've got standards that are trying to fix one problem, but have some of this law of unintended consequences that go along with them. Yeah, well, look, our, our goal is to get people in the safest cars that we can get them into, the safest trucks that we can get them into. The only way we can do that is working with the industry, working with uh, safety engineers, working with people uh, that want to get it right, but also want to make sure that people can afford these automobiles. And uh, I think we've had a pretty, good, uh, a pretty good run on that. Is this an issue, though, that you're concerned about, of the jaws of life not being able to cut through these, these new steels, for example? Yeah, uh, I, I think there's a lot of ingenuity. If we, if we develop uh, cars uh, that have the kind of steel that protects people, I have no doubt uh, they'll find some uh, technology for new jaws of life. Yeah. There's another technology, as I'm sure you well know, some people call it V2V, vehicle-to-vehicle communication, where you can literally make it so cars cannot crash into each other. To me, this has got to be some of the most exciting, potentially exciting, safety technology that's ever come down the pike. It really is. Uh, this goes to my point that I said earlier. There is so much good safety technology now that people are developing, that car manufacturers are developing. Uh, eventually what we have to get to is the idea that everybody can afford to have it in their car. At, at this point, some of it's a little too expensive because uh, it's just coming online. But we want to get to the point where it's like a seat belt. Everybody uses them, everybody has them, and they save a lot of lives. What's your view of this V2V technology where cars are communicating? Yeah. How soon might we see it? And, uh, I think it depends on the cost. I think it depends on uh, whether people can afford to, to have it in their automobiles. Obviously, it's an option, but uh, anything like that that saves lives, uh, I think eventually will become cost effective. Mm -hmm. 
I've heard that we might see it in the 2014 time frame. Does, does that make sense to you? Well, there's a lot of work going on, and uh, you really have to get the cost effectiveness. It's fine to have all of these safety uh, technologies in cars, but people have to be able to afford them also. Well, what I'm told is this is relatively inexpensive. It's largely just based on GPS and Wi-Fi. Uh -huh. And I'm told once you have GPS in a car, which an awful lot of cars have these days, yeah. the cost is about $100 to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see where it takes us. I'm all for it if, if people can afford it. Yeah, I, like I said, I think it's uh, really could be revolutionary sure. here. Let's talk about you a little bit. Uh, very interesting guy, you know, a Republican who's serving in a, with a Democratic president. Uh, what's that been like for you? Look, we, we've had a great run for three years. I just celebrated my third anniversary at DOT. I was sworn in on January 23rd, and uh, we've had a good run. The, the president has given us a lot of latitude uh, in, in, in every form of transportation, every mode of transportation. I like the fact that in every mode of transportation we've emphasized safety, whether it's in planes, trains, automobiles, motor coaches, uh, trucks. We've really talked a lot about safety. We get up every day and think about safety uh, because it's so critical uh, for the people that are either flying or driving or riding or uh, you know using the kind of transportation that they use. And, uh, it's been a great, uh, this has been uh, one of the best public service jobs I've had in 35 years of public service. What's the next step for DOT then? You, you keep pushing the safety aspect yeah, we, or is there our, more that you're looking at? Our safety agenda will continue. Uh, we have to make sure we implement uh, the CAFE standards that we just talked about earlier. Uh, but safety will always be our number one priority. We're always looking for opportunities to keep people safe and uh, continue the drumbeat. Uh, one of the things that I talked about at the car show this year, both here and in Detroit, uh, is that GM and Chrysler are back. What a great story. And it only took three years. And, but it took very good leadership from President Obama to step up and say, I'm going to invest some taxpayer money in American jobs for American cars. It's a great story. And it, it didn't take forever to happen. But it happened because of the president's leadership, President Obama saying, we've got to keep GM in business. We've got to keep Chrysler in business. And we had some great CEOs and have some great CEOs at those companies. And we also have some fantastic workers that make these magnificent cars. That is a, that is a real American story. I think it'll go down in the history books, and I'm proud to have been the secretary when it happened under under the president's leadership it's amazing to see them go from bankruptcy to at least in north america perhaps all-time record profits in actually less than three years time exactly the money's been taxpayer money paid back with interest and american workers building american cars well it's not all paid back just yet but i think they'll uh, get gm there. still owes a little bit but right. chrysler has paid all of theirs back right yeah what would you like your legacy to be as I transportation think safety. i think safety is uh, is is a legacy that uh, that people will remember us for, whether it's distracted driving, whether it's all this technology that we've, you know, really promoted, the idea that uh, uh, driving has to be safe, the idea that trucks and buses and motor coaches and flying has to be safe. The worst day for me on this job was the day when I heard that that Colgan Air plane crashed in Buffalo and 49 people perished. We stepped up immediately. The FAA stepped up immediately. We implemented a whole new series of safety uh, opportunities for pilot rest, for pilot training, particularly on commuter flights. Uh, safety always has to be uppermost in our mind. 
And uh, I think we've done some good things in that area. Well, the one thing I think you, that will be a legacy for you is, as we were talking about earlier, the, the incredible drop that we've seen in uh, tr half <laughs> highway traffic fatalities. I think that's right, John. And uh, I'm just blown, literally yeah, blown away because really, that's a number we, I've yeah, watched for decades. You're right about that. And we owe a big debt of gratitude to our friends in law enforcement who are out there on the roads pulling people over for speeding, pulling people, giving people tickets for speeding, but also taking drunk drivers off the road, giving people tickets for not wearing seat belts, giving people tickets for using their cell phones when they shouldn't be. And uh, our friends in law enforcement have been very helpful in this regard. Now, this is a big election year. There's already some people in the administration saying they're one-termers and then they're going to go on to something else. How about you? Yeah, no, I, 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 it's been a privilege for me to serve. And uh, when, the, when the term ends, uh, I'll be... Uh, walking out the door and look at this is a great job somebody else ought to have the opportunity to serve I'm sure the president will find somebody that's uh, that's capable and, and willing to to continue our very strong agenda something tells me I'm not gonna see you on a rocking chair after you leave here what no, are your plans no I don't know what my plans are but uh, we'll uh, we'll stay busy and stay on our agenda for another 10 months or so and then uh, walk out with held head held high on uh, really being able to get some good things done. You're a real political insider. and I mean, you've spent, spent your career in yeah, politics. Right. What have you learned as becoming transportation secretary? What's, what are you going to well, walk look, away what, with what from I, this job? What I, what I brought to this job and what I learned in Congress and serving as a staffer is uh, that in order to really get things done, it, it, there has to be a collaborative effort. You have to get people around the table. Everybody has to be heard. No one person gets their own way, and you reach the kind of consensus and compromise where you really do solve problems. That's true in the legislative process, and it's also true in the process that I'm in. Getting people around a table, giving everyone their say, and then figuring out how, how we move forward. Mr. Secretary, thanks so much Thank for you, coming John. on AutoLine this week. It's been terrific talking with you today. Thank you very much. I've really got to thank Secretary LaHood and his staff for carving out the time in his very busy schedule to be able to sit down and do an interview with me today. And I love the fact that we we're able to cover so many different topics. But that wraps up this edition of AutoLine This Week from the nation's capital. Thanks for watching and join us again right here next week.